Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Life Over Coffee, where we create all sorts of resources that spark conversation for transformation. We believe that any two Christians can come together and they can do life over coffee. We offer hope and help for you and for others, not just for you, but we want you to share our content with 1,000 of your closest friends. I'm going to make a case here over the next few moments for you never to apologize and never to say, I am sorry. Now, how about that? Hang with me for just a moment. I want to give you a better option when there is a relational dust-up between you and somebody else. In our culture today, the phrase, I'm sorry, has become our first response when we sin against each other. And that term has almost nearly wholly replaced biblical forgiveness. I'm sorry is a a passive statement that does not require the offender or the offended to engage in meaningful biblical transactional forgiveness. Now, perhaps I'm sorry is a good start in a relational reconciliation. I I never want to be the word police, but we need to be a a stickler to an appropriate degree with how we wordsmith with each other. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a good start. But that phrase will never complete the needed task when sin is in play and grace is available. Transactional forgiveness is the antidote. It is the only antidote that neutralizes and obliterates the sin, setting the stage for those in the transgressive dust-up to reconcile with each other. Now, if you want to read what I'm talking about here, then just go to lifeovercoffee.com. And look for this title. Don't apologize. Don't say, I'm sorry. Now, you can read what I'm sharing with you word for word. You can listen to the podcast. You can watch the video as we try to put all of our read resources in a read, watch, listen format. Have you told anyone about lifeovercoffee.com? If you have, Thank you so much for doing that. And I would just appeal to you that you share our website with anyone. Say, hey, here's some resources that truly might bless you. Those of you who are doing the work of discipleship, you're spurring one another on to loving good deeds. Will you, will you use our content uh, to do that? I would really appreciate it. That's why we have produced so much. We're producing content every day. And we're hoping that you will take it and share it. Now, I'm not asking you to keep up with what we are producing because, well, that won't help you. Uh, Because if you keep up with the amount of content that we're producing, all you're going to do is just wash, wash the previously consumed content out as you add new resources in. It's kind of like going through social media where you're just liking, liking, and liking. You can't retain anything. So don't try to keep up with us, but just find that resource that 
is benefiting you and then drill down deep into it, go through all the links that are embedded in the article, share it with a friend, talk to someone, spend a long time on one thing. Don't worry, the rest of the stuff will be here uh, when it's time to get to it. And so focus on one thing, do it well, share it with other with others, let it work down into your long-term memory. Now, perhaps this article, podcast, video would be the perfect thing for you to spend a week or two working through. Again, it's titled, Don't Apologize, Don't Say, I Am Sorry. I'm sorry terminology has taken over almost all relational indiscretions, which becomes really particularly problematic when the depth and the extent of our offenses toward each other need more biblical power to redress legitimate crimes against the divine and each other. Many of the Christians that I have counseled over the years do not practice biblical forgiveness in their relationships, and there's reasons for it. I mean, part of it is that they just don't know any better because no one has ever discipled a repentance process into their lifestyle, and so they just don't know how to repent. And by the way, forgiveness is a part of the linkage of the order of repentance, and so they just don't know any better. Now, of course, my more cynical response is is that they rather say, I'm sorry, because it is the path of least resistance. It doesn't require as much humility. When I ask them to walk me through how they forgive each other, in nearly all the cases, they present some version of the I am sorry mantra. I'm sorry doesn't have the divine efficacy to neutralize and remove actual sin. I'm sorry is better suited for non-sin events. For example, like running out the door and closing it in front of my wife while not realizing that she was behind me. My heart's motivation was it was not sinful, as though I was premeditating. I was thinking about how I could punish my wife, and so she's behind me. I'm going to go out the door, and I'm just going to slam the door in front of her. That's my way of getting back at her. That would be a sin. But in a case like I've illustrated, it was just a brain, brain cramp at best that did not serve her, but it never rose to the level of transgressing God's Word. Now, in such a case like that, it would be more appropriate to say, hey, baby, I'm sorry. And that would express my love for her. It would express my desire not to harm her, to be sorrowful for closing the door in front of her, not realizing that she was behind me, that is good. But to equate biblical trans, transgression with a mistake, that's too much pesticide for a non-threatening weed. Inappropriate discretions do inappropriate discretions, they do not hit the level of repentance because quite frankly, you have not sinned. And so I can make a case for saying that I am sorry, but never when there is sin. 
Never when the two people need to enter a, a transactional moment with each other. And so I'm not word policey. You can say, I'm sorry, when there is no sin involved. But if there is sin involved, then we can do so much better uh, because, well, we have the Bible to guide us into a process that not only neutralizes and obliterates our sin, but it can bring the offender and the offended together in reconciliation, but there is a way of doing it. So let me spice up the scene just a bit. Now, suppose I was angry with my wife, and we sinfully angry, and we were both heading out the door, and I passed across the threshold first, and I slammed the door in front of her as she was attempting to exit. Now, saying I'm sorry would be a woefully incomplete and unbiblical response. I desire to hurt her through sinful anger. James identified my problem as a wicked heart at war within, manifesting as sinful anger toward my wife. This is what James said in chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. When you hear James's language, his hyperbolic way of communicating the depth of our sin by calling anger murder, well, you can easily understand that saying, I'm sorry, just doesn't cut it, and it will not root out the cause of conflict, the desires, the passions, the coveting that is at war within someone's heart. My heart, in this illustration of slamming the door in a punitive way in front of my wife, James identified my problem as a wicked heart that war within manifesting as sinful anger. James would say, I have transgressed God's word. I have offended the Lord. I have sinned against my wife. He would appeal to me to do more profound heart work to root out such offenses, which would begin with cleaning up the mess by asking God and asking my wife to forgive me. It would be transactional. Only biblical forgiveness can communicate what is required when a sin like this is involved. I want to work through just a very short list of why forgiveness is so much better than saying I'm sorry when sin is in play. Number one, Forgiveness heightens the awareness that I have sinned. That's why it's not the path of least resistance. When you, when you start talking about forgiveness and you're thinking about going to God and asking God to forgive you or, or going to your spouse or friend and asking them to forgive you, once you go from I'm sorry to, to forgiveness, you have elevated, you have heightened the awareness that there is something wrong that I have sinned. Number two, forgiveness is the 
is part of the process of repentance. I talk about the order of repentance often. There is a sequence. There's a linkage to repentance. And forgiveness is not repentance. It is not. It is a component, an element of forgiveness. But you can't skip it. You can't replace forgiveness with, I'm sorry, That doesn't sound right when you work through this linkage of repentance. And so number two, forgiveness is part of the process of repentance. Number three, forgiveness allows the sinner to be free from what he did. If you say, God, I am sorry for what I did, you're not asking for anything. I mean... John did say, if we confess our sins, I mean, there is an agreement there with God. We're transacting even with the word confession. So number three, forgiveness allows the sinner to be free from what he did. Number four, forgiveness allows the offended to release the sinner from his crime. And so when I go out the door and punitively slam the door in front of my wife and say that I'm sorry, I am not I'm not giving her an opportunity to release me from anything because I'm not asking her for anything. Number five, forgiveness affirms the testimony of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. By the way, that's a good shorthand way of communicating the gospel. Hold up one hand. You teach your children this. It's really excellent. Christ died for my sins. All monosyllabic words that communicate the heart of the gospel. Christ died for my sins. And then we step into a forgiveness moment, transactional forgiveness. We're elevating uh, the, the need of the hour. We're elevating that there is something that has tragic, that has happened, and there was something that tragic that happened on the cross. It was Christ dying for our sins, and forgiveness elevates to that level. It is a testimony and an affirmation of the gospel. Forgiveness heightens the awareness of sin. It is part of the process of repentance. It allows the sinner to be free from what he did. It allows the offender to release the sinner from what he did. Number five, forgiveness affirms the testimony of the gospel. Number six, Forgiveness brings glory to God by not minimizing the need for Him to send His Son to earth to die for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Again, forgiveness, it rises to that level of severity. Number seven, forgiveness fosters humility because it's not the the path of least resistance. Number eight, forgiveness removes sin between two people. There is nothing between us any longer. Number nine, forgiveness gives a death blow to sin's advances. And then finally, number 10, forgiveness pictures to others how to deal with sin. Now, that's not the reason that we enter into transactional forgiveness for pragmatic reasons. I just want to illustrate this for our children, and it's more performative. No, it has to be heartfelt. Uh, We have to be riveted by the gospel, transformed by the gospel, motivated by the gospel to step into a forgiveness moment. But one of the side effects is it pictures before all how to deal with sin. And that is a gift that we can pass along to our family, to our children, and to our friends. There's 10 reasons forgiveness is so much better 
than saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry doesn't allow two people in a relational dust-up to accomplish any of those 10 things. I'm sorry sucks the life and the force out of repentance while leaving the offense unresolved. I'm sorry is not a request for the offended to do anything. I'm sorry is a statement that does not require a response from the one who was hurt. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is a different story from I'm sorry. It requires the offender and the offended to actively engage each other for the express purpose of neutralizing and removing the sin that occurred between them. Technically speaking, I'm sorry does not require a response because it implies the act committed committed was in the realm of no harm, no foul. Asking for forgiveness puts a responsibility on the person offended to respond to the request of the offender asking for forgiveness. Now, if you want to get into that sentence just a little bit more, I would encourage you to do so. I call this pre-forgiveness. Pre-forgiveness, before you actually forgive, is preparing your heart to forgive the offender. You see, when you ask for forgiveness, you are putting a responsibility on the offended. They have to do something. But in order for them to sincerely and genuinely, authentically forgive the transgressor, their heart has to be in the right place. I call that pre-forgiveness. By the way, if you type pre-forgiveness in the search feature at lifeovercoffee.com, you will find a 2,000-word article on that subject because it is just that important. I mean, can't you see there's an element of complexity here when we step into a forgiveness moment rather than the passive, neutral, somewhat ambiguous statement of, I'm sorry? You're really putting something on them. Therefore, they have a responsibility. They say, well, I I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. I was just standing here minding my own business and he sinned against me. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That could very well be true. But bad things happen to people and now you're in it. Now you're sinned against, and now you have a responsibility to uh, respond to the person who offended you. And if he is asking you genuinely for forgiveness, then you have to make sure that your heart is ready to offer that with all sincerity. Similar to what Joseph was saying in 5020. That what you meant was evil, God meant it for good, and you hear the attitude of forgiveness that his heart had as he was working through the transaction of forgiveness with his mean brothers in the book of Genesis. Asking for forgiveness puts a responsibility on the person offended to respond to the request of the offender asking for forgiveness. Now, if you go back to my slamming the door in front of my wife, illustration where the sin of anger was definitely objectively in play, then you can now see how I'm sorry just won't cut it. To say I'm sorry is unbiblical, it's unreleasing, it's unkind. 
because there was an objective sin between the offended and the offender. And if I do not ask Lucia for forgiveness, she would not have had the opportunity to, to release me from my sin. She would not have the opportunity to work through whatever she needed to work through so that we could be right. Because many times in these kinds of sin events between two people, the offended one, as I was saying earlier, they have a responsibility to forgive, which means the implication is they have a responsibility to clear out their heart. They got to get their heart clear. Because if they don't, and all you say is, I am sorry, what happened to them can can fester in their heart, and it can foster other types of sins. And so I need to ask. It is a kindness from God to ask Lucia to forgive me so that she has the opportunity to clear out her heart, to remove any elements of sin that she may be sensing because of what I did, plus also she can transactionally release me from what I did. Now, of course, the same applies to the Lord in this sense. If I do not ask God to forgive me, then he cannot, will not free me from what I did, going back to 1 John 1, 9. And then I would leave Lucia with my sin affecting her soul. Minimally, she could forgive me attitudinally. Let's say that I say that, that I'm sorry, and I'm not asking her to do anything. I'm making that, that plain statement, I'm sorry, and now there can be no transaction happening because I'm not requesting it. Well, minimally, she could forgive me attitudinally. She could work it out with the Lord so that her heart is clear even though I'm not asking her to do anything with me. That's essential for her to do. If I just leave her with an I'm sorry statement, I trust, and of course she is, mature enough to clear out her heart so that she can be free, even though I never shall be, until I ask her. Without transactional forgiveness that removes sin, our, our relationship will always have tension, and it will always keep us from enjoying true koinonia, true communication. But then the plot does thicken. In addition to Lucia not being free from the effects of my sin, I would never be released from it either. And because I'm not asking her for forgiveness like a cancerous cyst on my body, I would always be vulnerable to sin's deadly possibilities because the power of the gospel never neutralized it because I never asked God and I never asked her. The only recourse would be to humble myself before Lucia and before the Lord pleading for their forgiveness. There has never been a time in our marriage when it was acceptable to apologize to Lucia by saying, I am sorry. By the way, as many of you know, the word Apologize, apology is kind of humorous. It means apologeo, it means to give a defense. And this is what Peter was talking about, give a defense for the gospel. Kind of funny in a way. So it's never acceptable to apologize by saying, I'm sorry for my sin toward her and leaving her at that. Though I'm sorry may be an excellent start to a forgiveness conversation, it should never be the warp and the wolf of, of that conversation. I must ask for forgiveness 
from and granted by God and my wife. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. The forgiveness conversation always begins with a confession. So let's say that I get a clue, and I'm not going to go for the I'm sorry path of least resistance, but I'm going to ask for transactional forgiveness then it begins with a confession. To confess our sin to another person means that we agree with that person that what we did was wrong. The word confess means to agree, simply put. We cannot experience biblical forgiveness without agreeing, without confessing with those that we have offended that what we did was wrong. The person sinned against the offended. They need to know that we understand how bad what we did was to them. We want to make it crystal clear to them in their minds that what we did was awful. It was wrong. It was unjustified. All people within the offenses sphere, the sphere of offense, everybody within the sphere of offense, everybody that was sinned against, they need to agree regarding what happened. Therefore, it is as though the offender is a prosecuting attorney, prosecuting myself for the crime that I have committed. I am the guilty one on this side of the courtroom, and I am the prosecuting attorney on this side of the courtroom, and I am prosecuting this case, making a case against myself. Now, this need is where half-hearted apologies will never work. Have you ever been asked to forgive someone, transact. But you were left wondering if they, if they perceived how what they did was wrong or how bad what they did hurt you. Biblical forgiveness doesn't leave anything to chance. It is as though the convicted person on this side of the table is on a mission to find release from his crime, and he will not be at rest until he is fully exonerated, fully forgiven by God and any other person within the sphere's offense. This biblical worldview is why he wants to be actionable. He wants to be accurate. He wants to be articulate with how he goes about, on this side of the table, prosecuting himself. This kind of confession puts everyone involved all on the same page. They all agree. If you truly prosecute yourself, then you're making it easy on the offended, those within the sphere of offense, to say, I, I, I forgive you. Proper confession positions all appropriate parties to ask, to ask for forgiveness, to grant for forgiveness, and to receive it, which is why it's crucial to own the specifics of your sin by naming and claiming it. Do not let any person you have sinned against go away wondering whether or not that you were fully aware of what you did, that you understand how understood how what you did hurt them, and that your request for forgiveness does not lack clarity because of a murky confession. In short, you're bringing a solid case against yourself, making it impossible for them not to forgive you. And if they do not forgive you, with that kind of actionable, articulate clarity, 
well, then they have an issue that will have to be worked through as well. And so here is a suggestive template that frames what I'm sharing with you here when you ask someone to uh, to forgive you. And so this is what the prosecuting attorney, me, is doing to the convicted me. Here's a template to my wife, Lucia. What I did to you was wrong. I was angry when I responded to you that way. It was not pleasing to God, and it did not edify you, did not build you up. And this is what uh, Paul was saying in 429. Ephesians, that there should be no corrupting talk. And my speech was, it was corrupting and it, and it hurt you. I wanted what I wanted, what James was saying, what causes quarrels, what causes conflict. Is it not this? You desire, you do not have. I wanted what I wanted more than what God wanted or what you deserved from me. I love you and I do understand what I did. Will you Forgive me. There's a template of sorts, not for you to uh, paraphr- uh, not for you to uh, imitate, but to give you an idea of what this side of the room will do to this side of the room when you're the same people, the prosecuting attorney and the convicted felon. You want to make a case against yourself. And what I'm describing here is a far cry from apologizing or saying that I am sorry. What I am illustrating takes you to the heart of the gospel. The gospel informs us that sin is actual, that sin binds the soul, whether the soul belongs to the offended, the person who is hurt, or the offender, the one who did it. Sin can bind our souls. And the gospel tells us that there is healing for our sins, but we are responsible for biblically cleaning up our messes before God and others. If we do not admit, confess our sins, and seek forgiveness for our sins, or require others to forgive us of our sins, we have dishonored the gospel by muting its power and marginalizing its purpose. The point of the gospel is to release sinners from their sins. Christ came to set the captive free, which happens at our salvation when we ask God to regenerate us and the power of the gospel continues in our life for the rest of our lives in our progressive sanctification as we mature, as we grow into biblical manhood and womanhood. If we embrace our culture's habit of saying, I'm sorry, we may, we may as well embrace their Jesus too. He was merely a good man, but not the Son of God who died for and obliterated our sins. Christians know better, and we can do better. Don't apologize. Don't say, I'm sorry, when more is needed. Ask for forgiveness when you sin, and freely forgive those who ask for it. That is the power of the gospel working in us. I've titled this, Don't Apologize, Don't Say I'm Sorry. You can read what I just shared with you word for word. By the way, at the bottom of the article, you will see a print button. It's a big button, by the way. And you can just hit it. It will take you to another page You can delete the picture. You can delete some of the banners inside of the article and just get the text. And you can print it off into a PDF. I was in Bozeman, Montana in July. We stayed with Jay and Lori Moore. 
we've stayed there several times. Um, beautiful piece of property, but they're more wonderful. Uh, they're, they're very hospitable people, love God and love uh, Christ's body, and, and they have, have uh, showed hospitality to us many times. Anyway, Lori brought me a, a three-ring binder, and it was thick. There was more inside the binder than what you're supposed to put in the binder. And everything in the binder in the plastic sleeves, there was an article per sleeve. They were my articles. She's been printing them out for years. And uh, we had a meal outside. They brought a table outside. It was just beautiful right there at the backdrop of the mountains in Bozeman, Montana. And we're all sitting around the table, and I was looking at the placemats in the plastic sleeves. <laughs> and I was reading. <laughs> it, it was my articles. Everybody had an article in a placemat. Now, that was creative, uh, but she's been printing them off and, and putting them in sleeves. And now she has a three-ring binder full of a lot of my articles. And, and, and that's what I want you to do. And you can even uh, tab it with the little colored tabs and you know put them in some kind of order that might be helpful as well but I want you to use our content and you can print this one off again it's titled don't apologize don't say I'm sorry let me wrap up I want to ask you a few questions I have eight I'll move through them somewhat quickly but you can get them all at lifeovercoffee.com question number one why is transactional forgiveness better than saying I'm sorry Number two, would you illustrate a situation with a friend where it's proper to say, I'm sorry, without asking for forgiveness? Yes, you can do that, but we want to make sure we're clear when we do that. Number three, is it hard for you to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness? Now, if it is, why? What keeps you from humbly asking the person that you offend to forgive you? Number four, would you be willing to think through your past relational dust-ups? And as you think about, are you more apt to default to an apology or I'm sorry when confession and a forgiveness would be better? Now, if you default to I'm sorry when you should not, what does it say about your understanding of the gospel? Christ died for my sins. He elevated the seriousness of sin, but I'm sorry does not reach that high glorious peak of the gospel. Number five, how, prosecutor, how prosecutorial of yourself are you when seeking forgiveness from someone? How easy do you make it for them to forgive you because you make it clear to them what you did? Why is it necessary to help them forgive you? We need to, I think we could, many of us could do better in helping them to forgive us. And we can do that by working both sides of the table as the prosecuting attorney and the convicted felon. Number six, have you ever forgiven someone even though you question their sincerity? Not judging them, but it's like it doesn't quite pass the smell test. How will you work to clear up future ambiguity? Number seven, just two more. Would you characterize your closest relationships as repentant relationships? Now, if not, what is your plan to strengthen those relationships? And finally, number eight, do you live in a confessional family environment? 
are the people in your home habitually asking for forgiveness when they sin? Now, if, if they are not, why not? Don't apologize. Don't say, I'm sorry. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.